I'm Tammy Vendand, your host for Executive with a Cause, and today on the show, I welcome Kelly Jackson. She's the head of Women's Adventure ACT, as well as a cross-country unicyclist, a MacPack ambassador, and she was just awarded the ACT Woman of the Year in 2022. Today, we're going to chat about the good, the bad, and hard things about running a not-for-profit. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Tam. We've, we've met, oh gosh, I, I can't even remember how long ago it was, but we met because I was looking for other people to hang out with outdoors. And I stumbled across this meetup group for just women that were doing all these amazing things outside. I was, I was so excited to finally find someone that wanted to do something with me outside that I signed up right away for the first opportunity that I could get into because it was really popular even then. And yeah, we, we've known each other since that time. We have, yeah, it's been a few years, hasn't it? It really exactly. has. Well, I mean, for people that are not familiar with the organization, tell us more about Women Avengers ACT. Yeah, thank you. So we're a volunteer-led genuine community group, which is really just about getting women outdoors and participating. Um, we started life as a, a meetup group. That was a convenient way to kind of manage the, the approach. I didn't actually start the group. It was started by a young woman called Kat. Um, and she originally started as a bushwalking, occasional bushwalk and occasional rock climbing group. And then she couldn't kind of continue it. My flatmate sort of took it over and then she couldn't continue it as well. So I just picked it up on the way to becoming more adventurous myself. But over the time, the, the almost five years that we've been running, we've had around about 4,300 Canberra women wow. participate in probably about 460 different activities now. Let's talk about those activities because they're quite diverse. You know, for someone who thinks about, oh, well, what would you do outside? You know, you go for walks and you, and you maybe do some camping. Like, like, talk about the diversity of some of these activities. Yeah, so I guess where we see ourselves is like the Scouts but for adult women. Um, there's no one kind of filling that space. You can go on a paid adventure um, with a commercial organization. You can go sea kayak or you can even go on paid, uh, a paid bush book. But if you... If you didn't do Duke of Ed as a school kid um, or you didn't do Outward Bound or you didn't have parents or a partner that gets you outdoors, our question kind of was, well, where do you learn some of these skills? So as an example, last weekend I just did a TARP course. Uh, we call it typology, and we taught people how to tie six different knots and how to put up kind of six different TARP configurations and it was a heap of fun. Um, so we try and fill in the gap between experiences, um, skills and, and practical uh, opportunities to practice those skills. And I found uh, on these walks or hikes or overnighters that I've done that the range of people, not just from a skill perspective, but diversity is incredible. How do you get people of so many different backgrounds that have relatively different levels of knowledge to work together or to just do these events together without tearing each other's hair out? <laughs> Uh, I think one of the things that I put in place really early on was a set of values, um, a set of 12 values that really define how we work and what's important to us. Um, respect, obviously, is a big one. And so that's really important about how people interact in our group, uh, as well as deliberately taking action to promote and increase diversity in our group and diversity around um, culture, around gender identification, um, experience, um, background and also in some kind of marginal groups 
in our society, like LGBTIQA plus um, migrants, those kind of things. But I guess our motto is around participation. And we have a lovely bell curve of experience and, and skill level. But really, we just want women to get out, um, kind of like Girls on Adventure, and just enjoy themselves. It's not about you know trying to climb Mount Everest. Um, it's really just about getting women out, having a good time. So I think having that kind of casual approach, but also being supported by the values is really what gives it that lovely kind of supportive flavor, I guess, yeah. I went on one of the recent three-day hikes over the holiday, and one of the, the women with us was actually older than the rest of us, but she did so well. And nobody complained about her being slow. You know, everybody helped her with things if she needed help to get through, you know, mud pits or, or through fence lines or whatever, you know, like everybody, yeah. and that's been the case for every one of these things. The, those values that you talk so much about, how do you manage to, to I guess, share that within a, literally an all-volunteer group, and I had only known, actually, I didn't know anybody in that group. I think I've met them once before on a walk, but these people don't know each other. Yeah. So how do you make that work with so many people that don't know each other in such a large group and all volunteers? I think by starting with the values, we keep the group really respectful. And unfortunately, in the past, that's meant we've had to remove some people who couldn't comply with that. Um, so that does help keep the group just... A, a really nice respectful bunch and that's a kind of a good place to start um, because it means that we have people who want to support those values who do participate and that extends into how they interact with others on the activity so it means that all our activities start with the base of respect so it doesn't matter what someone's age or experience kind of is we're just starting from that supportive perspective which means those kind of things are irrelevant and if you're struggling um, regardless of what the the reason for the struggle is, that there's a whole group of women who are going to have you back and help you out. Yeah, that, that's really lovely. Of course, there's lots of challenges with running an all-volunteer organization, and especially just how you manage to do so many of these events yourself. Do you, do you run them all yourself? Um, I, I run a lot of them, um, but these kind of organizations never really about one person you know there's always a bunch of people supporting you kind of in the background mm -hmm. and there's a lot of volunteers who put their hand up to run and organize activities I mean you yourself put your hand up and organize some activity for us thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so there's a, some wonderful crew um, that are in the background also putting their hand up to to run and organize things for us as well and we're, of course we're really grateful and really appreciate that some of these activities that you do, though, they're multi-day events. There's lots of planning involved. Like, I've been absolutely impressed by the safety factor and, and also just trying to be conscious of how you leave the place the way it was so you don't impact the environment. To do that takes time. Yep. And is this your full-time job right now? Yeah, pretty much it is, but it doesn't pay like, like a job. <laughs> you know, it is a labor of love, and that's obviously one of the big challenges in taking on a group like this is that you forsake uh, being in paid employment for, I guess, for the good of the community, for the better good of what you're trying to do. And it does come with at a financial, kind of personal financial cost sometimes, yeah, which can be hard to manage. Which I imagine a lot of charities and not-for-profits have started that way. Yeah. But obviously not sustainable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not sustainable in the long term. And um, and last year, the kind of community dug in and did a, a GoFundMe 
um, and raise an incredible amount of money for me to keep doing that. But um, that kind of helped out in the short term. But in the longer term, we have to put different plans in place to make it sustainable. So the organization is changing now to, to make it more sustainable. What, what are the, some of the things that you've thought about doing and where are you now? Yeah, so it's a bit of a test this year. So we put a little membership fee in place. And one of the hard things is, well, how much should you charge people? You know, scouts charge about $240 a year for a once a week activity. Um, but one of our kind of values is around trying to keep it accessible and affordable for people. So we didn't want to put too much of a price and it was really about testing it. So we made a $49 membership fee and that gives you access to all the activities um, that we have, um, which is pretty good value because some weeks, you know, we might have four activities uh, on. Um, so that membership fee concept seems to be working quite well. Um, the other, I guess, positive that's come out of that is when we're just a meetup group, I mean, act- activities would fill up literally in minutes when we listed them. Um, and meetup kind of unfortunately tends to encourage a lot of people who expect things for nothing. That's kind of what we found. Um, and who just want to take from community and aren't really prepared to give something back. So moving into this kind of membership model means we have people who are really committed to, to, what, we were do- to what we are doing. And I think they kind of value that sort of closed group um, a little bit more. And of course, that's helped make us financially sustainable. So once we kind of move into um, more of an association or a legal structure around that, then like any club and association, there'll be a membership fee associated with it, which will then help fund um, what the group does. But I had some pretty other pretty big plans for kind of fundraising activity, including things like um, looking at how we could become a, a DAO, which is a distributed autonomous organisation on the blockchain. Uh-huh. There's some really fascinating stuff going on in that space, um, which is really like a digital committee and how we could potentially fundraise from selling things like... Um, a, a, a non-fungible token or an NFT uh, scout badge. Ah, interesting. <laughs> I was wondering what you were going to do with that. I, I saw that you were doing something in the blockchain, and it's very innovative anyway for a, a charity or a not-for-profit of any kind to be thinking that way when there's so many other things to do. Talk more about this. I'm sure that there's people in listening that are very curious. Yeah, yeah. I think... I mean, you always kind of look at how could we raise money and we don't want to get in the cell Lamington space because that's really tough. Um, but uh, I, I did a writing course and as part of that course, I read people's essays of topics that I would never normally read and I got right, I fell into a rabbit hole around blockchain and, and DAOs, that, um, those kind of digital committees. And then I kind of thought, wow, I wonder if that is something we could apply to our group. And it seems to me that the DAOs that are successful are those ones that have something that works successfully in real life. Um, And there's currently no outdoor groups that are on the blockchain as a DAO. So it really got me thinking that if this is something we could set up, we could then use any funds that we raise from that to then, um, I guess, become that social enterprise and put that extra money back into the community in the form of social good kind of activities that we offer. So I had a conversation with a client once about, you know, one way that we can do a new fundraiser if we wanted to think about the the Web 3.0 was to, um, and we were just joking around at the time, but we were we were talking about having a, um, this is for a shelter, having like these, um, you know, virtual pets like like you do with the 
what Kamaguchi yeah. back in the days, and then you have you know the apps versions of it. But being able to do that with an in, you know with a a NFT or something like that. We were joking around about whether or not you could sell off a virtual pet, and then therefore that would be the way you do it. But but at the time, you know, even that conversation, we were joking. Yeah. Uh, do you actually think that this is a viable way to fundraise? Absolutely, I do. I mean, Web three is kind of the big future of where we're heading, and it's a little bit advanced to, for an outdoor group, especially to be in that space because traditionally outdoor groups aren't good with technology. Um, but anything that helps you fundraise as a as a social enterprise or as a, a club or association, I think, is helpful. Um, and I guess it's just modernising fundraising, isn't it? Well, well, it is. And you think about the the biggest donors are still using checks. Yeah. They're still paying checks. That, yeah. That's been my experience. On the other side, is the you know the one receiving the checks is a CEO for a charity, and and the technology also when when you start talking about crypto and, and blockchain and things like that is predominantly men. Yes, yes. Right? So so you're like thinking not only advance for at the outdoor community, but just in the gender community and, and the not-for-profit space as well. Who would be buying these tokens? Uh, so it'll be members. So the concept was a, an NFT is a digital scout badge. Um, so in the same way in the scouts, if you yeah, if you did your not, not course, you'd get your not badge. You know, if you had your first poop in the woods, maybe there's a first poop in the woods kind of badge. I got that sticker. (laughs) So there's a whole bunch of fun things that we could do. You know, with the first time you got Mount Tennant, you might get your Mount Tennant badge. Got it. Um, And so you get a digital collection, which kind of, I guess, is your digital outdoor identity about the kinds of things that you've done in the same way that you might have a GPX file for a walk um, that you've done on all trails or something like that. So... Okay, well, you are talking about technology right there that the outdoor people have actually embraced wholeheartedly with any kind of GPS tracking just yep. for safety, if nothing else. The The idea of having a digital badge from that perspective is actually a, really fun. Why would someone pay for it when they should be earning it? Well, I guess we would hope that they would pay for it after they'd earned it. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's yeah. just adding to your, your digital identity to kind of say, hey, I've walked up Mount Tennant. Yeah. You know, here's my badge to show that. But also, I guess it's just benefiting community. Um, and some of those kind of ideas were about using those funds to then make social good programs that we could put back in the community to kind of help women and women in the outdoor space. So it's just pie in the sky thinking at this stage, but certainly I think it's got some credibility to it. Look, I love the way you think because it's certainly out there. It's not, <laughs> and not in a bad way though. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that all fundraising organizations need to consider ways to be more sustainable. And sure enough, it, the first person who figures it out in this Web 3.0 world is going to, you know, start it for other people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's kind of watching what's happening in that space. Yeah, definitely. So in the meantime, while you, while you have these great ideas, what's the next step with the organization? If you've been playing around with this social enterprise versus association idea, what are the next steps? So the next step really is about bringing the community in to start to own the group. You know, it's been my baby for the last kind of four and a half years, um, and it takes a huge amount of effort just in administering it, not including running the activities as well. And I'd like to free up some more time so I can get and run more activities. But to do that, 
I've got to let community take on some of the admin load. So we'll, we'll incorporate, um, we'll have a committee and then the committee can make decisions about what it wants to do kind of into the future in terms of DAOs or not. Uh, or social enterprise or not. So, yeah, it's about bringing the community into that decision-making. I think that's important for how we move forward. Cindy Mitchell was uh, one of the previous guests. You might be familiar with her. And she actually, when I asked her the question about how do you know that an organization is going to be successful because she works with so many social enterprises that are startups, she had said when, it, when, she, when the, the person who started it built a community around them and let go of the heart part so that so that it could actually be shared yeah. with the community. Like, like you just said exactly what she just said, but wow. you're like a real life example of that, of where you go from a startup that will always be a startup and always struggling to one that actually has the wings to, to fly. Yep. And you have to, because there's a point where you can only do so much. And I mean, even now people go, oh my gosh, does that woman never sleep? No, I don't because I have so much energy with it. But you're right. There's other people that love it too and there's other people that want to contribute and help take that on and help move it forward. And you've got to let that go and you've got to be able to share that love with community. So it's really interesting that Cindy said that. Yeah, yeah. great stuff. Well, at the same time, you know, personally, you've invested your life into this, yeah. you know, your livelihood as well. Yeah. So letting go had to be hard to just get to this point of decision. Yeah, I mean, it always is. It's your baby and it's your labour of love and you've made all the decisions. But I think it's part of giving women those leadership roles, giving women those skills, giving community responsibility for how they want it to be. You've got to be able to share that. And you've embraced technology recently to try to help um, create this more, I guess, close-knit community. You had 4,000 people participate in some capacity before on the meetup group. What's it like now that you've you've closed the loop and you've actually um, added a membership fee? How many people are involved now? So we've got about 300 members now, which is a, a really nice number um, of people. And they're obviously kind of more committed to the group rather than just people jumping in and out of random, random things to see. Um, it's always a challenge when you go onto a new platform so I think idealistically, the new platform is really great in terms of what it can do. Um, but any transition onto new technology is always a bit clunky. So we're still riding over some of those, some of those clunks and bumps. Um, but people are just wonderfully supportive and tolerant and patient. And they just kind of deal with, with, with that as we go. But it has made a little bit of impact into how much connection people are doing online. Um, but I guess ultimately we want them to connect in the outdoors. Um, not so much online. So it's still a, uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Have you seen transformations in the time that you've been running the organization? You mean personal trans? Oh, goodness me. I really want to do a video series about personal transformation because that's the gist of what our group is about. And it's hidden. I know it all, but other people don't. And when I see it, it's just so beautiful. And it really, like I said, it really gets to the heart of what the group is about. Have you got time for a couple of quick stories? Yeah. Yeah, so there was um, uh, just kind of protecting people's privacy, obviously. There was one woman who joined us in a program a couple of years ago. She'd never even bushwalked. And she'd come from pretty difficult um, uh, personal circumstances. Um, and she went on to kind of start to learn to bushwalk. She has now done ultra marathons. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And now she's in the adventure space and doing ultra marathons. There was another woman who wanted to come canyoning with us. 
Um, so explain caving. Oh, sorry, canyoning. Is, oh, canyoning. Yeah, canyoning is to, in, when you're in a wetsuit. So you're abseiling and jumping off high canyons into water. So you're just winding your way down a, a kind of series of waterfalls, if you like. Um, and But she couldn't swim. So she went and took herself off to learn to swim and then she came on the canyon activity with us. And she was kind of an older um, woman from a certain cultural group as well, which was even a bigger kind of, um, I guess, jump for her. Uh, we had, we've had quite a few women who burst into tears the first time they come on a walk um, with us because they're having really awful situations in their private life and they're just looking for themselves and they're just looking for a bit of a break. Um, yeah, there was one woman I said, oh, how are you? And she burst into tears because her partner had died. Oh. So she had a lot of grief and she said, I just need to connect with people and find something to do. Had never bushwalked. That woman now has walked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Wow. Yeah, she recently rented out her house and bought a caravan and now she's going to drive around Australia. Um, like there's, uh, there's another 10 of those kind of stories where women just looking for something and looking to connect. And they come into the group and they have never bushwalked they suddenly learn to navigate they buy tents for their families they go take other families camping like it's that kind of transformation that is really amazing I've seen it myself and I knew you probably had some stories because it's hard <laughs> like some of these hikes and things yeah. are actually really hard and there's people that that are not physically fit enough to do it on their own yeah but in that environment where you have people encouraging and waiting for you and, and never complaining about having to wait behind, <laughs> it's, it's pretty impressive to watch. And it's, it's really lovely to see how, um, it, you know, this grassroots group is actually impacting so many people, but in a totally different way than you would expect yeah. as other not-for-profits perhaps. Yeah, I think so. From the outside, it's really easy to dismiss it as, oh, it's just a bushwalking group. But it's way more than that. And that's really what the heart of the group is about. It's really about supporting women and giving them those skills and confidence and watching those skills grow and then watching the impact and consequence of that new confidence and those new skills impact on families and other people in the communities in ways that you hadn't ever really thought about. If, if you had to think about this organization, say just in five years from now, given that you're in a transition right now, what do you see? I see uh, a national organisation like the Scouts that's around Australia that helps get women into the outdoors, that helps teach them the skills, that gives them those leadership, um, I guess, experience that they can carry over into work, um, that has the digital Scout badges <laughs> for the fun things that they've done. Yeah, so that's kind of my vision for it. I guess you'll have to change the name, though. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> that's right. It's no longer about the ACT. It'd have to be something Australia. That's right. Yeah, and that, that's, I think, part of our transition in the next couple of years as well, is taking on a new identity to reflect where we want to go. And have you thought about how this organization, as it evolves, can allow you to continue to participate full time? Because obviously, so many years without a proper income has got to be weighing on you. So how do you see this not only providing perhaps a livelihood for yourself, but other people too. Yeah, look, I think there's still some work to be done in that. I mean, if it were to become an organisation like Scouts, then obviously we need to look for other sources of funds like sponsorship and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I haven't really thought about how it could make a, a position for me. Um, I'm looking to free up some admin time, I guess, so maybe I could, I could earn money outside of the group to still allow me to kind of do the things in the group that I want. 
Have um, you tried cookies? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> the Girl Scouts have done amazing with the cookies. They so. have. That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> there might be some, some, some fundraising ideas still left in me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for that suggestion, Tammy. <laughs> well, I mean, as you start thinking about building the association and relying more on other people, do you already have a team in mind? Um, we're just working on that now. Yeah, we're starting to go through the that process of asking people to self-identify um, because the way that the group has worked up until now is people really like it that I've done everything because <laughs> it just means they can turn up, tell me what to bring, tell me where to go. I love it. I don't have to invest any time in admin or anything like that. You know, So that's what kind of why it's worked. But now bringing in people and asking them to take that admin on, um, yeah, people will self-select for that, I hope. So. I'm one of the guilty ones that likes to show up and you tell me what to do. (laughs) And absolutely, that's what it's about as well. So, yeah. For for other organizations that may be in a similar position in a grassroots campaign, they've they've obviously have found a niche because they wouldn't be growing like yourself if if they didn't have a, a need that they're servicing. What is your advice after? You've gone through this for a few years, so it's not like you've just made this decision overnight. It's been happening for a while. What, what's your advice about trying to weigh up the consequences of going from a just a bunch of people that get together to do stuff outdoors to should this be a business versus, no, I think it should be a not-for-profit? Like, What, what kind of advice or, or learnings have you had from that process? Yeah, I think it's about your values and what you're trying to achieve in life. That's what you have to go back to. Um, because one of the easiest things for me would have been to switch this on as a business. There's lots of women's adventure business and I would, I'm a former accountant, I've got an MBA, I could probably make a pretty good living out of it if I made it a business. But you have to go back to what is it that you want? And for me, this was all about how can I give back to community? And at the time that I asked that question, um, I was unicycling and I thought not many people want to learn how to ride a unicycle, (laughs) but a lot of people wanted to get into outdoor stuff. So yeah, it gets back to What's my values and what am I actually trying to achieve in life here? And use those answers to help guide you. Because if your values are around, well, I just want to make money or whatever, then you'll turn it into a business. If it's really about wanting to give back and help community, then you'll take on those hard challenges um, and you'll you'll progress in the face of those, I guess, because that's what's important to you. It's interesting from a commercial point of view. You've actually had some competition from from for-profit, not even social enterprises, literally commercial operations that do tours and other types of things. That's actually been a bit of a challenge for you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has been. It has been challenging. I mean, obviously, for-profit see us as a threat because we're about providing things in a way that's more affordable um, in the same way that a club or association kind of would be, and that impacts on other people's profit, I guess. So, yeah, that is challenging for for for-profit. We've kind of had a couple copy, want to be us, <laughs> kind of copy some of our stuff. But, you know, anyone in, in any organization gets a bit of that. So you yeah. just take it as it comes. It's supposedly flattery when they try to copy you. So, yeah. so take it on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, as far as um, just, I guess, activity groups, uh, this is kind of a unique group in many respects. You've already said that, that it's – on the surface, it looks like all it is is a, another sports club or of some sort, but it's definitely beyond that. What are the elements that make it a community other than values? 
other than values. Wow, that's really hard because I honestly think that values is what gets to the gist of what makes the community. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually am really struggling to find what else it could be outside of the values because it's people with shared values that come and, and are working together, um, reflecting those values. That's what builds it. Look, I don't think you're wrong. I just, I just thought if there was any other magic moment that you can share with us, then I would, I would love to hear what it is. But the why for most not-for-profits and, and charities and even social enterprises, I say, is so loud that you don't have to talk about that. When, when we talk about the organizational parts that are hard, though, that are not so obvious, what are the makings, you think, for the future other than setting up structure, setting up getting some people on board to help with administration, what are some of the other nuts and bolts that will have to be put in place for this organization to do the things you're thinking about? Um, well, all the technology kind of stuff, because that, that just makes the admin easier. So kind of email marketing process, the website needs a big clean, needs a big cleanup, um, membership management, volunteer management, um, that needs formal process over it. Um, so I guess it's that kind of committee structure and then having efficient admin processes and technology that supports that and makes it easier because at the moment it's just me doing it all very clunkily. Yeah, <laughs> and you're using Circle, right? Is that yeah, well, yeah, we're using the platform Circle, yeah, but yeah. That, has, that hasn't been without challenges for sure. Yeah, look, there's a lot of people that say great things about it, but yeah. every system has its flaws. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I think mostly just about getting that technology in place professionalizing some of those processes. Um, people are kind of tolerant at the moment because it's clunky, um, because it's just me. But once we move into that more kind of professional space, then we've got to have systems that reflect that pre professionality. So. Yeah. Well, you're certainly thinking about technology before most. I think it's an afterthought for a lot of other organizations. So the fact that you're putting in front, like you're actually, I know you've already developed the policies and values and things like that, but to actually think about, we're starting a new organization, what technology do we need to get in place? It's it's probably more advanced than a lot of older, especially those that have started in the past. It, it's not what they thought of doing at yeah. the beginning of operations. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I guess it just all, is all about how can we make it easier and seamless for everyone. How can we ease that admin workload on people and how can we make it look professional? Yeah. And certainly with your background as an accountant and somebody with an MBA, it would fit you well to, to go ahead and embrace technology yeah. early. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks. Is there anything else on the horizon that you'd like to share that um, we haven't talked about yet? Just in terms of the group? Um, or Well, I mean, we yeah. actually haven't talked about your... Uh, your personal uh, <laughs> ambitions because I mean there's not many people I know I, there's one odd other person I know which is very <laughs> unusual for me to know two people that are both <laughs> unicyclists <laughs> but you've actually done some really crazy things from uh, talk about your North Korea trip that you did on a unicycle yeah uh, yeah so I decided I looked for flat, easy to ride places and South Korea came up. So I decided I was going to recycle the link to South Korea. But then well, I get myself in trouble whenever I ask the question, I wonder if. And when I was going to think about South Korea, then I also thought, wow, I wonder if anyone has unicycled in North Korea. I'm just going to dig around and see as a bit of a ha-ha joke um, whether that was even possible, whether it was even possible to get into North Korea. Anyway, I found a travel company 
Um, so I just emailed them. They did a they did a little bike tour. I thought, wow, I wonder if I could do that on my unicycle. I'm just going to message them. And they came back and said, yes. So just asking that ridiculous question about I wonder if led to me being the first Westerner or the first person outside of North Korea to unicycle in there. So Check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a really weird kind of quirky kind of world first to have, yeah. Do you have something else like that on your schedule for the future? Uh, not yet. I mean, I'm probably going to try and unicycle across... Um, the Nullarbor, but there's been a couple of other people who've already done that, so that's not... That's not as much fun. Yeah, exactly. That's just me wanting to do it for the achievement as opposed to <laughs> it being a kind of quirky weird thing, you know. But I have got a couple of other places like that where I don't think people have unicycled. Um, one of them's a little island to the north of Papua New Guinea. Okay. I'm pretty sure no one's been um, up there, so I'm going to think about that as well. Well, if you have terrain, I, I guess you're going to need like a mountain bike version of your unicycle yeah. I don't know how you do that I couldn't stay up we'll have a fat tire unicycle yeah well it's still way up there <laughs> yeah. it's crazy um what does it mean to be a MacPac ambassador yeah I I mean it, it's lovely to be asked to front a product you know and you kind of got to believe in the product mm-hmm. to agree to take that on um and MacPac asked me to do that in recognition of the community aspect because I've got some pretty amazing, um, interesting people who are their product ambassadors. Um, you know, women who climb, women, uh, people who do marathons, like all kind of really amazing athletes, if you like. And so I'm a bit of a quirky one because I don't really consider myself an athlete. Um, and when they asked me to take it on, I said, are, are you asking me for the unicycling or are you asking me for the outdoor community? Because there's two different kind of facades to me, I guess. And they said, oh, no, we, we want you to be our community ambassador. Um, because of what I've done with Women's Adventure ACT. So it's really lovely um, to be able to represent community um, with the product. And I also think it's good of an outdoor product to pick an older gay woman uh, who does weird sports (laughs) (laughs) to represent them. So that was a a wonderful thing to have happen. Yeah, I really liked that. Uh, What what an honor. And then this year... You're women, uh, woman, ACT, ACT woman of the year. Yeah. Like that is hard to win that. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't seen you since then. <laughs> so what, what's entailed with that role now? I'm sure you probably have, uh, you know, other interviews because of it. I, I guess it's just a kind of a community acknowledgement, I think. Mm. Um, and it was challenging for me because I was up against all these incredible executive, CEO, amazing women who've done amazing stuff with their career. Um, but it, it, I think in being awarded, it was real lovely acknowledgement of community. Um, it, in When you're a CEO, there's lots of fantastic things that you get to do in your job. But when you're a community volunteer, it's hard work. You don't have that money. You've got to be really resourceful in how you get stuff done. So winning that award for me was kind of acknowledgement of that community um, support, I guess, um, and saying, hey, community, we see what you're doing and you're doing a great job. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I know you were up against, like you say, some some amazing women yeah. in the community and and that is not a small honor. Like that is a significant one. So congratulations. Thank you. That. That's lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Tammy. Uh, just for a, a final question, if somebody wants to know more about you or Women ACT, Adventure ACT, what where should we send them? You can find us on Facebook, 
Women's Adventure ACT. I know that's a bit hard. Uh, you can find our website, um, womensadventure.net. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, we're also on Twitter and on Instagram. Got it. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I'm a member and I didn't even know. <laughs> so good deal. Okay, well, if people want to get involved locally and then if they want to reach out to you personally, what's the best um, connection? Uh, LinkedIn or something like that? Yeah, same thing. Instagram, you'll find me um, one wheel only. Um, or my website, um, onewheelonly.com, which is number one. Great. Yeah. Well, it, there's not too many unicycles in this unicyclists in this world, and I feel like it's um, it's probably a representation of how you think and do things anyway. It, it to be a bit of adventure and a bit unique in that respect. I just want to thank you for the work that you've done for this community. As you said, there's a lot of lives that have changed, and it's not obvious for how that could have happened because it's not a known charity. It looks like a sporting organization. It looks like just a bunch of girls getting together after the weekend to go hiking. And yet, at the same time, you're changing lives because people are recognizing what they can do outside and they're learning what they can do in nature and not be afraid of it but to actually embrace those discomforts and and also beauty things that beautiful things that you see yeah thank thank you so much tammy that's really kind i really appreciate it as does everyone else who volunteers and participates that's lovely thanks Hi, this is Tammy again. When I'm not doing podcasts, I am helping not-for-profits with IT decisions. In this week's segment, IT in plain English, I have a question regarding a CRM. So that's a customer relationship management system, and this person wants to know, how do I choose one? A customer relationship management system, for those of you who are not familiar with it, um, probably actually do use one all the time. So this is a system where you keep information about your stakeholders. It could be a member or a donor or perhaps a client if you're serving them with some sort of service. If you're in a shelter, it might be an animal. So most of the not-for-profits and charities will actually have a CRM on-site already. But sometimes that system may not actually meet your needs. And how do you choose your next one? Well, there's a lot of criteria to to consider, but I'm just going to give you one today. And this is especially for those of you who don't live in North America. The number one criteria that I would use for selecting a CRM, because it's so vital to your operations, is to make sure you have a local support partner. Now, sometimes the vendor does that themselves, sometimes they use a partner, but the reality is that if they are not based in your home country, or at least in your time zone, you're going to find it very difficult to get the help you need with a system that is really important for your operations. So number one criteria I always tell my clients here in Australia is to make sure you have local support. Hopefully that answers your question. There's a lot more we can do in Um, regarding criteria for a CRM and for any solution for that matter, but that one is certainly important. Now, if you have a question for me, uh, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and send me a message, and I might just answer that question on the show. And for those of you who are executives with a cause, I just wanted to thank you and your teams for all you do. The work you do on a day-to-day basis definitely makes a difference in this world. Thank you. Thank you.